0: Hello, and welcome to the Lone Wolves Club podcast, a podcast for conversations you won't find in the church, a club for those who feel like a lone wolf. I'm your host, Nicole Border, and I am so glad to be back. I took a bit of an unannounced break for two weeks over the Thanksgiving holiday. So, For this episode, I'm going to go in a different direction and not really talk about mental health or the struggles of Christians or anything I've really talked about before, but I really want to call out, I guess for lack of a better word, some crazy, crazy behavior I have seen from pastors lately. Y'all, it is getting out of control. (laughs) That's why I titled this podcast episode, Out of Control Pastors, because they are out here just doing the most, y'all. They are out here acting crazy, acting foolish, and I've just had enough. I feel like these pastors are making the church look foolish by their actions, and so I kind of wanted to call out a few pastors. I kind of want to have a deeper conversation about the way that we tend to view pastors. And I want to have a deeper conversation about how pastors reflect upon the church as a whole. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to get real shady and real, real, real authentic. This is going to be a longer episode, just a heads up. So, grab a drink, grab a snack. I hope you enjoy this longer episode. And again, it feels so good to be back. I'm so excited for the future of this podcast. I have so many new ideas. All right, let's go ahead and get shady. Just a quick disclaimer before I jump into the heart of this message. Once again, I've said this before, but I am not a church basher. I am not a church hater. I don't hate any of these pastors that I'm going to talk about in this episode. I don't want anyone else to go incite hate upon them. I just want to have an honest conversation about this trend of -of out-of-control pastors I've noticed lately. And because I actually really love the church and care about the future of the church, I want to have this conversation. You know, if you love something, you want to protect it. You want to see it improve. You want to see it grow and flourish. And that is the goal by me bringing up today's topic. So I just wanted to get that out of the way. I'm not a hater. I'm not a basher. I'm just someone who really loves the church and wants it to be taken seriously. So, like I just said, I have noticed a trend of pastors who just seem to be out of control more than usual lately. I mean, we've always had weird pastors doing weird things and You know, no one's perfect, right? Pastors are human just like the rest of us. They make mistakes. They slip up. They say things they shouldn't. I get that. I'm not holding pastors to these, you know, crazy high standards that they have to be perfect and infallible and blah, blah, blah. I get it. They're human like the rest of us. They make mistakes. But some of these things aren't mistakes. I don't think it's just the particular way that these pastors are. And that's what I have a problem with, because I think if you're going to do the things that some of these pastors do, if you're going to act the way that some of these pastors act, I honestly don't think you should be a pastor. I, in particular, am going to talk about Mike Todd, who is the head pastor of Transformation Church, which is a huge mega church based out of Tulsa Oklahoma here in America about 20 to 30,000 people tune in to the service online every Sunday and about 8,000 people attend in person between the four different services they have on a Sunday but before we get into Mike Todd because that is a whole can of worms, I want to back up a bit and talk about some other pastors that I have seen acting out of control lately. So the first pastor that I stumbled across, I was honestly in shock when I saw this video of him because I was like, surely I am not seeing what I'm actually seeing. And I don't have a soundbite for this one. That'll really make sense. I do for some other examples, but I'm just going to describe what happened to you. So this pastor, Brian Meadows, out of Embassy City Church in Atlanta, was preaching a sermon about how people need to turn to God for comfort instead of other things. And I totally agree with that message. I totally agree with the heart of that message. Absolutely, people need to turn to Jesus for comfort instead of other worldly pleasures. And some of the worldly pleasures that he listed that people turn to for comfort rather than Jesus are things like indulging in junk food too much. I mean, you know, here and there is fine, right? But he's talking about people that indulge in junk food way too much, which is a problem in America, as we all know. He also talked about drug use, how people turn to, you know, marijuana and other recreational drugs for comfort rather than Christ. And then lastly, he talked about how people turn to sex, of course. And again, I would be fine with him just leaving it there with just listing out those examples. I get it. I agree with him. But to drive home the point about how people turn to sex for comfort instead of leaning on God, she whipped out a woman's vibrator and held it up for everyone to see, you know, high and proud. He wasn't like... (laughs) you know, trying to be subtle about it. It was very much in your face. So he held it up. He waited a beat for people to settle down because, you know, people were hooping and hollering and laughing and all of that. So he, you know, waited for people to settle down. And then he talked about how, you know, people don't want to go out anymore. Women don't want to go out anymore and meet up with their friends and have you know, connections with other people and blah, 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 because they just want to stay at home and indulge in their vices, indulge in what comforts them rather than going out and establishing, you know, real true connections with godly people who can encourage you to lean on God for your comfort rather than your vibrator. (laughs) And I just you know, I'm not a prude, right? I'm not shocked by seeing a vibrator, but I am shocked about seeing one in church, and I am shocked about a pastor using, you know, staying at home with your vibrator as, like, a common thing that people do, right? Like, I'm just going to stay at home with my vibrator rather than get a coffee with my friends. I don't think a lot of people are really doing that. Um So yeah, it was just odd to me. It was like an odd metaphor that I feel like didn't really ring true, didn't really represent people accurately. Um, I think people are avoiding going out and connecting with people in real life. Sure. I mean, so many studies talk about how, you know, our generation and Gen Z are the loneliest generations. But I think that has more to do with social media and other things rather than people staying at home and playing with their vibrators. I think because so many people are in social media and they interact with people that way, they don't need to see that person in, in person, right? Because it's like, oh, I, I keep up with them on Instagram. I keep up with them on TikTok. I watch their stories. I DM them or whatever. We don't need to meet in person. I think that's part of why our generations are the loneliest in generations and not meeting up with people in person. I don't think it's because everyone is staying at home playing with sex toys, okay? <laughs> that's just my two cents, but that's a deeper conversation for another day. So anyway, that is one example, I think, of a pastor taking it too far and getting kind of out of control and, you know, not only making a fool of himself, but I think also kind of making a fool of church. You know, church is supposed to be a sacred space for believers to come together and be edified and encouraged before being sent out back into society to interact with people. And I'm not saying that church can't be fun. I'm not saying that church can't be culturally relevant. I'm not saying any of that. I just think that was just a step too far in trying to drive home his point. And I think he kind of illustrates a trend that I'm seeing with many, many pastors where I feel like they're more so performers rather than pastors. Because he knew what he was doing when he picked a vibrator as a prop. You know, he's not dumb. He knew it was going to get people talking. He knew it was going to get a reaction from people. He knew people were going to laugh and whoop and holler and carry on. And he even paused, you know, for like comedic timing, right? He whipped out the vibrator, looked around, grinned, paused to let everyone have their moment where they laughed and, you know, cheered and everything. So he knew exactly what he was doing by using that prop. He knew that it was going to get people talking. He knew that it was going to be that shock value, that comedic effect. And so, yeah, I think there's just a real trend with pastors acting out of control and acting more like performers rather than pastors. Another example of this comes from Pastor Tim Ross, also, at Embassy City Church, which I'm like, "What is going on at that church <laughs> like why why do so many examples I have come from this church? I don't know what's going on um and this pastor was actually invited to speak at Transformation Church, the church that Mike Todd is the head pastor over. So there's like a weird connection between all three of these pastors acting kind of wild and kind of loose. I don't know what they got going on in their group chat, but they are definitely on the same page. So, Pastor Tim Ross came and was a guest speaker at Transformation Church, and he and Mike Todd are very close. From what I have read, Mike Todd considers Tim to be almost like a a mentor. Um, I think Tim is only a few years older than Mike Todd, so they're kind of like buddies. You know, from what I've heard, Mike Todd looks up to Tim like a big brother, like a mentor and all of that. So, they're very tight. So I'm going to play you a video clip of Pastor Tim, who is the mentor for Pastor Mike. And in this clip, again, my jaw was on the floor. I was shocked that I was hearing this at a church. And I know so many people are going to try to argue, well, you needed to listen to it in context. I did. Okay. This clip doesn't make sense. All right. It doesn't makes sense to me and I I really don't know what he was trying to go with this where he was trying to go with this so anyway let's listen to the clip and then we can unpack it together we
1: don't make it rain on booty cheeks we don't make it rain on strippers we only reverence one stripper and that's the one that took off glory to put on humanity And then get butt naked on a cross to die for both you and me. The only stripper I'm in love with is Jesus. And he's the one that puts that bread in my pocket. That bread
0: in my pocket. As we can see from this clip, the pastor, Pastor Tim Ross, came up with this metaphor of Jesus taking off his glory, his indignity, his power, his essence of God, and became a man. And he just kind of ran with that, right? He ran with this notion of God or Jesus, rather, taking off or stripping off his glory, his essence of being God, and came to us in human form to die in our place on the cross, to die for our sins. And while that's a beautiful image, and the Bible even describes Jesus as doing that, as taking off his glory as God to come live among us, I think Pastor Tim Ross kind of cheapened that by comparing it to Jesus literally being a stripper, (laughs) like an exotic dancer. I don't know how he thought that metaphor would go, but I think saying Jesus is the only stripper I'm in love with is, you know, maybe a soundbite that you don't want to exist on the internet. (laughs) I think that's something you maybe don't want to, you know, have out there for all eternity, right? Because nothing on the internet gets deleted. What you say on the internet lives forever. So I don't think that's a great (laughs) soundbite. And two, like I said, I think it just cheapens the, the, beauty of what Jesus did on the cross. And one could argue that Jesus, yes, while he stripped off his glory and dignity and the essence of who he is as God, when he was hung on the cross to die, his clothing was forcibly taken from him by the Roman soldiers that were torturing him before his death, Isaiah predicts that, right? It says, They stripped me of my garments and cast lots amongst themselves for my robes. And crucifixion, it goes without saying, was a very torturous, very awful death. And this pastor is correct. Jesus did die completely naked on the cross. You know, many, many. Statues and paintings always put like a little strip of cloth over Jesus's grain, but men and women were completely bare naked when they were crucified to add to the humiliation and torture of this kind of death and to serve as an example for other people, right? They, the Romans intentionally made this death as horrific And humiliating as possible to deter other criminals, right? So I think when he uses this metaphor of Jesus as a stripper and says, Jesus is the only stripper I'm in love with, I think that really cheapens the beauty and the sacrifice and the humiliation that went into Jesus's death on the cross. And that personally, as a lover of Jesus, (laughs) as a lover of the church, as a lover of the gospel and all it has done for me, that doesn't sit well with me. Again, I know some people might say, well, you have to listen to that clip in context. You have to listen to that metaphor in context. You have to listen to the whole sermon to really understand his message. And I don't agree with that. I think there are some things that no matter what the context is, that just shouldn't have been said. (laughs) And I think no matter what the context is for saying Jesus is the only stripper I love, I don't think there's any context for that. I don't think there's any context that would make that make sense and that would make that phrase that metaphor, be okay. Also, I just said how this is probably something you don't want to have out there for all the world to hear, and I've said it like three times. <laughs> but it's just such a ridiculous phrase. I have to keep repeating it because I really can't believe that someone just got up on a stage and said, Jesus is my favorite stripper. I I can't, y'all. And I don't know what was up with that weird rap at the end either, where it was like, Jesus is the reason why I got this red in my pocket. I don't, I don't get that. I think it kind of reaps very much a prosperity gospel to me, which I'm not a fan of. If you don't know what prosperity gospel is, it's the idea that if you just tithe enough, give enough, serve enough, do enough good deeds, Jesus will bless you with like a Maserati and a mansion. So we're going to transition now and talk about Mike Todd, who again has connections to Pastor Tim Ross, who we just heard from he views Pastor Tim Ross as kind of like his mentor since they're just a few years apart. Now, bear in mind that Mike Todd and I are both in our 30s. I think he's only a few years older than me. I'm 33. I think he's 36. So bear all of this in mind that this 36-year-old man has such a huge platform. Again, 8,000 people attend every Sunday in person. 30,000 people tune in online every Sunday to the service. He has over 2 million followers on Instagram. He has such a huge platform for such a young person. And there's a reason why I'm I'm bringing all of this up. So backtracking a little bit, I kind of want to give a history of Mike Todd and how he came to become the pastor of Transformation Church. So, Mike Todd attended Transformation Church in his youth, in his 20s. He was the AV guy, the sound guy, for a long, long time for the main service. And then he was doing so well in that role that the head bishop of the church asked him if he wanted to become the youth pastor. And this is very, very common in church culture. If you consistently show up and serve your church and are willing to help out in various roles, like doing the sound checks and doing the PowerPoint presentations and stuff like that, pastors will often, you know, assign other more important jobs to you because they see that you're performing well in whatever you're doing, right? And Mike Todd was that kind of young man where the head bishop saw a lot of promise in him, a lot of integrity in him, a lot of consistency in him, and so he decided to ask him to become the youth pastor. And because of his charisma, his relatability, he drew a large crowd to the youth services. And the head pastor noticed that more people were coming to the youth services than they were to the actual congregation for the older people. And so he just saw that, you know, Mike Todd had a lot of promise. He seemed to just really, like, resonate with people well. People were drawn to him. And so he was promoted to become the head pastor of all of Transformation Church. The interesting thing, is that Mike Todd never went to seminary, didn't study theology, didn't go to a Bible college. I don't think he even attended like a normal university for just, you know, a normal degree. Not that you need to go to college or anything. But I would think that if you are going to be the head pastor of a church and you're a young man, you're young in your faith, you've only really had experience with teaching young people, right, the youth— I would think that you would want to go into seminary so that you can better preach to your adult audience, to your adult congregation. Because again, bear in mind that right now Mike Todd is only thirty-six years old. That means when he started preaching at the at the head pastor level, he was in his young thirties. Because he's been doing this for a while, so he was like thirty-one. 32, and he was preaching in front of a bunch of adults, having never gone to seminary, having never gone to a Bible college, or have taken any um, kind of theology classes or anything like that. And I know this because I, you know, looked him up, and there's no record of him attending any kind of Bible colleges, no record of him getting a master's in divinity, no record of him going into any kind of seminary or theological school. Sure, he might have taken some theology classes here and there, but there's no record of him actually attending a normal seminary or theological school or Bible college or anything like that. And the reason I bring this up is because there's also an interesting trend of many, many, many pastors. Mike Todd is not the only one who are being promoted to the position of head pastor, lead pastor, senior pastor, whatever you want to call them. And they've never been to seminary. They don't have a master's in divinity. They haven't gone to a Bible college. They haven't studied theology. And I think that's really, really odd. It's really odd because if Mike Todd wasn't required to do any of that before becoming a pastor. He's basically just a guy who really loves God and wants to talk about his personal experiences and what he's gleaned from the Bible, right? Not through the lens of theology, not through the lens of church history or anything like that, just what he has gleaned from the Bible, And he wants to pass that knowledge on to other people. And that's pretty much kind of like being a motivational speaker, right? Motivational speakers are just people who have maybe mastered certain aspects of life, right? Maybe they're really good businessmen. Maybe they're really good um, public speakers. Maybe they're really good entrepreneurs and they've figured out certain things. And so they're going to teach us in turn... And Mike Todd is kind of like that. He's just figured out different aspects of, of God and faith and what, you know, he has cleaned from the Bible and he's just passing that knowledge on to other people, but it's not backed by anything else. It's only his personal experiences that he's really talking about. And again, that's kind of like being a motivational speaker. That's all they really do is kind of just draw from their own personal experiences of what they have learned. And I don't think that can cut it for being a pastor. I think if you're going to lead a whole group of people, I think you need to have really studied the Bible on a serious level. Um, I think you need to learn Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic, and all of that is taught when you go to seminary. When you go to seminary, you have to learn Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic, which are the three languages that the Bible was written in. And that's important because it allows you to have a more correct and a, and a more accurate translation for the Bible, because the Bible is commonly misquoted or mistranslated. And I'm going to get into that later, which is why I'm, I'm bringing this up, because there's a serious moment where Mike Todd very, very egregiously <laughs> mistranslates a part of the Bible. So anyway— it is really odd to me that he was promoted to the position of head pastor without having gone through any of that kind of education, without any kind of credentials. And again, if, if just anyone can become a pastor without having to go through seminary, without having to get an MDiv, without having to go to a Bible college. If it's just enough that you really love God and you like talking about God and you like sharing your personal experiences, well, then I can be a pastor, right? (laughs) Because here I am talking about God, talking about my personal experiences, talking about what I've learned from the Bible, what I've gleaned from the Bible. So if it's as easy as that, y'all can just call me Pastor Nicole (laughs) or Pastor Porter. I like that better. I like the alliteration. You can just call me Pastor Porter. You know, if all it takes is to really love God, to be willing to share your personal experiences, then, you know, anyone can be a pastor, right? I can be a pastor, you can be a pastor. And so that's why I think churches need to go back into the trend of expecting their pastors to go through seminary, to get some kind of education before they get up and teach thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Okay, so now I'm going to talk about why going to seminary and learning the original languages that the Bible was written in is important. It's important because it allows you to read the text how it truly is. You're not just reading a translation. You're not reading someone's interpretation. You are reading what the Bible literally says when you read it in its original text. Because we know a lot of things can get lost in translation, a lot of things can be misinterpreted, but when you're reading the Bible in Greek or in Hebrew or in Aramaic, you are reading what it literally says. So there is no room for error or mistranslation. So another reason why seminary is so important is because it teaches you what is actually in the Bible. We all know that there are so many common misconceptions of what is and isn't in the Bible. I have had some really interesting conversations with people where I've learned things that were in the Bible that I wasn't aware of. And I've also shown people things in the Bible that, you know, they thought were there but aren't actually there. And so I think especially as pastors, you need to be aware of what truly is in the Bible and what isn't in the Bible. Because if you just take an idea and run with it and you're not sure if it's actually in the Bible or not, maybe you thought you heard that verse somewhere, or you thought somewhere in the Bible it said something about X, Y, Z, but you're not totally sure, if you just take that and run with it, you can potentially misinform people. And I have a perfect example of that because I have a clip of Mike Todd preaching about divorce. And bear in mind, he was quite young when he preached this sermon, It was from about, like, two years ago, so that would make him, like, 34. And there's a moment where he says something that is not in the Bible. And so I'm going to play that clip for us here, and then we're going to analyze it together afterwards, and I will point out the portion of his sermon that is biblically incorrect. So let's listen to that clip right now. Now,
1: this is the one reason God gives for divorce. Not we've grown apart. It's going to be tight in here. I, I'm going to need police escort as we leave. Y'all help me. Not we don't relate anymore not even he hit me i don't condone that the bible says leave the house oh y'all about to be real mad if y'all don't read your bible but that's not the reason to leave the marriage
0: the funny thing is in that clip he says y'all are going to be really bad if you don't read your bible well after I watched that clip, I read the Bible. I even busted out my study Bible. It is the Spirit-Filled Life Bible, the New King James Version, if you are looking for a good study Bible. So y'all, I even busted out my study Bible. And the Bible is mysteriously silent on the topic of domestic violence. The phrase domestic violence or abuse or anything like that does not appear in the Bible. And y'all, I read I read all the chapters about all the laws. I read Exodus. I read Leviticus. I read Deuteronomy. I looked high and low for any mention of domestic violence in the Bible or the word abuse or spousal abuse or anything like that. And there is nothing. So I don't know where he got that notion that abuse is not grounds for divorce. I don't know where he got that notion that the Bible says, as he said, that you can leave the house, but you can't leave the abusive marriage. I don't know where he got either of those statements from, because they are not in any Bible I read. And I read a regular Bible, and I read my, you know, spirit-filled life Bible, my study Bible, which is more annotated and kind of expands more on certain verses. And I couldn't find anything, anything, y'all. So I don't know what he read. I don't know where he was looking or if that was just off the top of his head, which is my guess, but it's not in there. And I think he was banging on the fact that a lot of people don't really read that closely in the Bible looking for stuff like that, like about spousal abuse, right? So I think he was kind of banging on the fact that no one is looking that up in the Bible, right? No one is looking up verses about spousal abuse in the Bible, except for crazy people like me. (laughs) And And it really shocked me that Mike Todd, of all people, would say that you can't divorce even if your husband hits you for many, many reasons, which I'm going to unpack right now. So first of all, Mike Todd has shared on podcast in a book that he wrote called From Trauma to Triumph, um, which is kind of a story of his life. He shared in multiple arenas that he himself was violated and abused, sexually abused as a young man. And I would think that if someone experienced sexual abuse, especially as a man, I feel like they would be sensitive to others who are experiencing domestic violence. So for him to say that your husband hitting you is not grounds for divorce, that all you can do is just leave the house, boggles me, (laughs) It boggles my mind. Like, I don't understand how a victim could tell other victims you need to stay where you are. You cannot leave. I can only understand it if at that time when he said that, he hadn't really overcome a lot of his own abuse. If he hadn't really gone to therapy maybe and worked through the trauma of his abuse. That's the only explanation I can think of for why he might have a twisted view of Because I think once you go to therapy and work through that, you kind of realize that you shouldn't have been subjected to that and you don't have to put up with that. You know, that's the benefit of going through therapy is that it can kind of help rewire your brain, especially for victims of domestic violence, because where you were once told by your abuser that you deserve this, that it's your fault, that you made them abuse you. If you go to therapy, it unravels all of that and shows you, no, you were a victim, and you do not deserve that. You do not have to put up with that. You did not have to bear that. You did not instigate that. And so that's the only thing I can think of is maybe at that point, he wasn't in therapy. I think later he talks about how he went into therapy, but maybe at that time he wasn't. And so he didn't quite understand how to unpack his own abuse. And therefore, that's why he was so comfortable with saying if you're in an abusive marriage, you can't divorce. All you can do is leave the house. That's that's the only thing I can think of. So that's me giving him the benefit of the doubt on that one. But yeah, I think I think again that's why you need to be so so careful with misquoting or mistranslating the Bible because you can draw conclusions from the text that just aren't accurate, that aren't helpful. And I mean, I think he he never did walk this back, but if I were him, I would want to walk that back and be like, hey y'all, at one point I said that abuse is not grounds for Divorce, that all you can do is leave the house. And I'm so sorry that I put that misinformation out there. I'm so sorry if my words caused anyone to feel like they had to stay in a situation that instead they should have gotten out of. You know, I'm so sorry and I want to apologize for that. I looked high and low for that kind of apology and there was none. And that's also troubling to me because it means he either doesn't care about the weight of his words when he says things like that, he doesn't care about spreading misinformation or he um, he still thinks that to this day, which is also troubling. He still thinks to this day that abuse is not grounds for divorce. So either way you slice it, it's kind of troubling. He either doesn't care about spreading misinformation. He doesn't care about the weight of his words, which I can't believe, because if you're going to be a pastor, obviously you care about the weight of your words, <laughs> So yeah, it, it must be that he he still believes that to this day, which is kind of troubling. And it's also troubling given his audience. So Transformation Church is a very diverse group. It is majority, the majority of the congregation are people of color. So given the fact that the majority of the congregation are POC, that also raises serious concern With what he said about domestic violence because statistically people of color are at a higher risk of experiencing domestic violence than other populations. So I looked up these statistics at the national um, domestic violence hotline essentially and 45 percent of black women And 37% of Hispanic women experience domestic violence. That is a huge number. That's almost half, right? That's a lot. That means one in two, right? One in two women um, experience domestic violence. And, you know, again, given that that is his audience, that his audience are primarily Black people and Hispanic people... I think it's a great disservice to his congregation to say things like that. To say things like if you're an abusive if you're in an abusive marriage and your husband hits you, you can't divorce. All you can do is leave the house. I think that is dangerous advice to give, especially given the fact that the majority of his congregation are people of color and that women of color in particular are some of the highest reported victims of domestic violence. So, given the fact that he experienced sexual abuse himself, given the fact that his congregation is made up of Black and Hispanic men and women who, in general, I mean, men, Black men and Hispanic men are also more highly subjected to domestic violence than other populations. So given the fact that his congregation as a whole, both men and women, are at a higher risk of being victims of domestic violence, I would think that he would want to be super careful with that topic, and he would want to make sure that the advice he is giving is accurate and helpful and biblically sound. You know, another thing that seminary teaches is counseling, because that's a big part of being a pastor, right? You might do marital marriage marriage counseling, you might do premarital counseling. Um, You might uh, give advice on other topics like mental health issues and things like that. And so seminary kind of prepares you to be able to handle these kind of topics, right? Topics of domestic violence, topics of marriage, topics like divorce. It gives you a different lens. It gives you that psychological perspective on those topics so that you can better speak to them and you can better encourage and educate your congregation when it comes to domestic violence, when it comes to marital issues, when it comes to divorce. So, yeah, once again, I think going to seminary is so important. So, along with that, there are some other instances that I'm not okay with when it comes to things that Mike Todd has done or said, things that I think misrepresent the church, things that I think misrepresent God. And just stuff that I think is plain bad advice. So another piece of bad advice that Mike Todd has given is he was invited on a podcast and they were talking about dating and he talked about how dating is, a, it is basically teaching you patterns that can lead to divorce
1: is honestly uh practicing divorce try it as many times as you want to until you find the one but what you've done is you've formed a habit of getting into things and getting out of them so what ends up happening is when you get into a marriage you're like they're better than everybody else when it gets tough you're like the first reflex i know to do is get out of it
0: so in that clip he was it was it was not disturbing he was invited onto a podcast. You know, that's why you could hear other people chatting with him. And it's funny because he says, you know, the concept of dating as we've been taught is, you know, try it as many times as you want, you know, date around essentially. And first of all, I want to be like, speak for yourself, mayonnaise, (laughs) because I was not taught that dating around was okay. And I did not date around. And my husband was my first and only boyfriend. So I'm like, speak for yourself, man. (laughs) And also, the funny thing is he has shared before that he was a bit of a player and a bit of a womanizer when he was young. So I'm like, don't be projecting your own issues and your own patterns onto other people. Just because you dated around, just because you were a womanizer, just because you were a player doesn't mean we all were my guy. So don't project your experience onto other people. And on top of that, he also married or met his wife when they were 15. They were like childhood sweethearts. And, you know, that was before or that was after, you know, he played around, played the field, whatever you want to call it. And I'm like, that's that's also not other people's experience. Most people don't meet and marry their childhood sweetheart, right? So I'm like, don't project your experience onto other people. (laughs) And... I think it's really again kind of dangerous to tell people that dating is practicing divorce because you're basically encouraging people to marry the first person that they really truly date. And while that worked out for me, that doesn't work out for any it's for ever for everyone. I know people who married the first person that they dated and then later they got divorced. And you know why they got divorced? It was because they didn't take time to really explore other options, to explore other relationships, to explore other dynamics. That's the benefit of dating. I heard someone describe dating as an evaluation process and I think that's a wise way to look at it. You know, you go on a few dates with someone, you evaluate if you want to spend more time with them. If you want to spend more time with them, then as time goes on, you evaluate if you want to get engaged. And then once you get engaged, you do more evaluation and you decide if you want to get married and, you know, do all of that. That's the purpose of dating. It's an evaluation process. It's for you to explore and figure out what you like, what you don't like, how you want to be treated what you're looking for in a partner. And you can't do that if you are only looking to marry the first person that you date. That's not realistic. Again, it worked out for him and his wife, but again, don't project your experience onto other people. Just because that worked out for you doesn't mean that's everyone else's journey and everyone else's story. And on the flip side, I know plenty of people who did date around and they still settle down and they're in a happy, successful marriage. I think Christians love to make dating so serious, and they want to make it almost on the same level as marriage, and I heard someone say that marriage is serious, dating isn't, and I like that statement. You can date, you can have fun, you can expose yourself to different kinds of dynamics, you can learn about different types of relationship styles, you can learn what you like and what you don't like and how you want to be treated and what you expect from this other person that you're going to tie yourself to for all eternity. You know, you, you should do that. Because you're going to be with that person forever, so you should take time to explore different options, to explore different relationships, to figure out what you really like and what you're really looking for, so that when you find the one, you know it's the one because you've explored other options and you, you know that this is what you're looking for because you have something to compare that person to, Right? If you date the fir- if you marry the first person that you date, you didn't have an option to really compare that person to anyone else, right? You didn't have a chance to really fully evaluate that person, essentially. Again, I got lucky with my husband, but that's not to say like I didn't have my eye on other people or try to date other people or go on dates with other people. I did. I just none of them none of them blossomed into serious relationships. So. Yeah, I think it can be kind of dangerous. And tying back to the whole domestic violence thing, I know for a lot of women, that is exactly how they found themselves in abusive marriages. is because they married the first guy who took an interest in them. They married that guy had not exposed themselves to other options, had not exposed themselves to other relationship styles, didn't really give other people a chance, married the first person who took an interest in them, and then three months into the marriage, they find out that they married an abuser. That happens so often when people just marry the first person that comes their way. And so That's why I don't really agree with that. I don't agree that dating is preparing you for divorce. There are a few other incidences I want to talk about with Mike Todd, and then I kind of want to sum up my final thoughts and explain why I'm kind of listing all of these incidents with Mike Todd. It's not because I'm bullying him. It's not because I want people to hate on him or anything like that. I'm just using him as an example of what I kind of think is wrong with the way we view pastors today. So another incident comes from early last year, 2022, Um, Almost a year ago, actually. It It happened in January. So Mike Todd wanted to illustrate the passage of the Bible where Jesus heals a blind man by spitting and mixing dirt until it became mud and then putting the mud mixture on the blind man's eyes and telling the blind man to then go wash his eyes in the river, present himself before the priest, and then he would be healed. And Mike Todd wanted to make that passage real, so he called someone from the congregation up onto the stage. Later, it was confirmed that it was Mike Todd's brother. And Mike Todd, to illustrate this, passage, he spit into his hands. You know what? I'm just going to play the clip for you because it really needs to be heard in its original form. So rather than describe it, let's listen to the clip together.
1: Changing something and you don't see it clearly yet, but you can hit... <laughs> <laughs> is where most people would not face Jesus anymore. What most people would do is turn away. What, What I'm telling you what I'm telling you is just as he's physically standing here knowing what's coming God's saying can you physically and spiritually and emotionally be able to stand when getting the vision or receiving it might get nasty I'm going to say it in a point just like that receiving vision from God might get nasty. Yeah, come on. You mean God, I just bought in crazy faith, I just bought my dream car. And now you're gonna ask me to sell it back and ride in the you again? Yeah, because the vision I'm about to give you, it might get nasty. Do you hear and see the responses of the people? What I'm telling you is how you just reacted. It's how the people in your life will react. When God is doing what it takes for the miracle, what are you saying? This man was blind. And what he was trying to do with this man is give him his DNA.
0: Uh, Y'all, there are... So many biblical inaccuracies with that illustration that I don't even know where to begin. (laughs) I, I really don't. But let's begin with the obvious. So in that passage, it is recorded that Jesus mixed his spit with dirt. It became mud, and then the mud is what he smeared on the blind man's eyes. It wasn't just his spit. In that illustration, you can hear Mike Todd spitting. You can hear him hawking a loogie, which is so gross. I hate that sound. I'm sorry if that sound triggered anyone else. I really hate mouth sounds. Um, Anyway, he, you know hopped up a big spitball, spit it into his hands, and there was no, he didn't mix it with anything else. There was no mud or clay or anything. He just spat in his hand and then rubbed the spit all over his brother's eyes. So right there, it isn't even biblically accurate, his illustration, because he didn't use mud or dirt or anything like that. And again, I think he did that on purpose because he wanted the shock value of just spitting in his hand and then rubbing that on someone's face. It's not as shocking if you spit into some dirt, mix it up until it becomes mud, and then rub the mud onto someone's eyes. Sure, it's still gross, but I would argue it's a little less shocking than just using spit. And... Piggybacking off of that, Jesus didn't heal that man in that way to add to the shock value. Jesus never did anything for shock and awe, even though the things that he did were amazing, like walking on water, you know, raising the dead, crazy things like that, right? But it wasn't for shock value. It was to show the glory and the power of God, that God is a God who can make the impossible possible. And so where Mike Todd does it for shock value and for performance, he misses the mark and he misses the heart of that message, which was to show God's glory and power and the power of forgiveness and redemption. Matt Todd took the angle of literally applying that scripture towards God giving you a vision for your life. And that the vision that God gives you for your life might cost you something, right? It might cost you to give up your dream car and start driving an old beat up car. Might cost you your dream job. It might cost you your dream house. It might cost you something. And the act of receiving God's vision for your life might be nasty and uncomfortable and gross. That was the message. That was the angle he was trying to go with that passage. But he really missed the mark in translating or interpreting that passage correctly because that passage wasn't about Jesus giving the man a vision for his life. That passage was about Jesus literally giving someone vision, restoring their sight, and showing that God is the God that makes the impossible possible, and that Jesus, who is fully man and fully divine, has all power and authority under heaven to heal the blind, but to also forgive and redeem right the disciples asked jesus who sinned the mother or father of this man that he was born blind and jesus said no one he is blind so that god's power might be manifested in him that god's glory might be shown in him and that is a more nuanced and a more beautiful and a more impactful message than God giving you vision for your life and how that vision might cause you to go through some nasty things, some hard things. And you know he also argues that many people when they would hear Jesus you know preparing to spit, that they would turn away from Jesus, that they wouldn't receive that blessing, but that we need to be like the blind man and we need to hold our ground and we need to receive what God has for us, even if it seems uncomfortable or gross. And that also wasn't the point of that passage. The man stood his ground, stood where he was while Jesus prepared the mud mixture because he wanted to be healed. I mean, this man was recorded as literally shouting for Jesus to notice him, to see him. And when Jesus finally approached him, don't you think he would receive whatever Jesus has for him, no matter how gross it is, if he knows that Jesus can heal him? I think he would receive that healing any way it would come. I mean, I have a chronic illness and Jesus can heal me any way he wants to, you know? I'm not I'm not picky about that. If I have the faith to believe that Jesus can heal me, then I also have the capacity to receive that healing however it comes. And that is what the blind man models. His level of faith was so great that he knew only Jesus could heal him, and he was prepared to receive that blessing, receive that healing, however it came. That is what we should take away. That is what we should learn from that passage. And if you want to look at the context Of what was happening during that time and why Jesus used spit, it is recorded by theologians that Roman doctors believed human saliva had healing properties, medicinal properties, and so when Jesus made the mud mixture with his own spit, it is um, concluded That Jesus, being a Jewish man living under Roman occupation, Roman influence, would be influenced by the culture of the Romans, and he would also share that idea that saliva has healing properties. Some theologians also dive a bit deeper, and if you want to look at it from a symbolic point of view, some theologians argue that the reason Jesus spit into the mud, into the dirt, is because spitting is a sign of rebuke, right? And to this day, spitting is a sign of insult, right? Like if you've spit on someone or spit on something, you're rebuking it, you're insulting it, etc. So when Jesus Spat on the ground and made mud and put the mud on the man's eyes, he was symbolically spitting on sickness and illness and blindness, showing that he has power and authority to heal all iniquity, all sin, all illness, and even death itself, right? And that is a beautiful and powerful image that Jesus is showing that he is trampling sickness and death and disease under his feet. And he is spitting on and rebuking the idea of sickness and illness and disease because he comes to restore, to heal, and to make things new. And again, that is why going to seminary is important because it teaches you how to interpret biblical passages accurately because that passage actually has a really good message about faith, about the glory of God being manifested in the middle of our illnesses and our sin and our shame, how Jesus meets us in those places, how he makes all things new. And instead, Mike Todd had a totally different interpretation and made it all about me, right? It might cost me something, It might cost me something to receive God's blessing rather than the power and glory and beauty of God being shown in the middle of my weakness, in the middle of my brokenness. You know, just when I think about all of these incidences, one after the other, like talking about domestic violence. Talking about how dating is setting you up for divorce in your marriage. Talking about how, you know, or not talking about, you know, spitting on someone and rubbing it all over their eyes. It just makes me wonder when he's preparing his sermons, does he run them by anyone? Like, seriously, does he run them by his wife? Does he practice them for her? Or is Sunday morning the first time that anyone other than him is hearing the message because I would feel like if he would run these by someone like his wife or a mentor, they would be like, what are you doing? (laughs) Especially the domestic violence thing. I feel like if he ran that by his wife, don't you think his wife would surely be like, um, honey, I don't think you want to get up on stage and tell the women in our congregation that if their husband hits them, they can't leave the marriage. I don't think you want to tell them that. Or don't you think, you know, his wife would maybe caution him against spitting in his hands and rubbing it all over someone's eyes, especially during a global pandemic? Like, where is the accountability? And that kind of brings me to my final thoughts. I know I've talked a lot and shared a lot of examples, so I'm just going to sum it up with two maybe three points. My first point is piggybacking off of what I just said. I think there needs to be more accountability for pastors, and I think that looks like them running their sermons by people, for starters. Um, Again, I highly doubt that Mike Todd does that just based on the crazy things he said, (laughs) and I feel like if he at least ran the sermon by one other person, they would be like, "Mm, I don't know about that. And two, I think there needs to be more accountability in terms of, you know, if we're going to treat being a pastor like a full-time job, if we're going to allow pastors to do that full-time, then I think they need to have the same standards that people do in corporate America or other nine-to-five jobs. And if you, you know, suck at your job or if you continually make mistakes at your job, then there are Consequences. Maybe you get a talking to at work. Maybe your pay gets stalked. Maybe you get put on suspension for a while. Maybe you even get fired if you've suck enough at your job. And I think Mike Todd kind of sucks at his job. He has made so many mistakes. He's had to walk back so many things. And again, we're not we're all imperfect, right? Pastors included. They're not perfect. I get it. But if you're continually making mistakes, You know, when is enough going to be enough? And when is someone going to finally be like, man, you need to take a beat. You need to, you need to sit on the bench for a while. You know, I'm not saying he can never preach again or that he needs to step down from being a pastor. I think he just needs to go on sabbatical, go on leave, take a beat, sit on the bench for a while, go to seminary take some more theology classes, really hone in and study the Bible on a serious academic level, maybe find a real mentor, not someone who's just like a few years older than him, and then come back to preaching. Because there is so much at stake. He has a huge platform, like we discussed. He has huge influence over people, And he has said some pretty serious things that can be dangerous, that can be harmful, that can be unhelpful. And, you know... Like the Spider-Man quote says, with great power comes great responsibility. (laughs) And it's so cheesy, but it's true. You know, if you are going to have such a huge platform and you're going to have the power of your influence, then you need to have a higher level of responsibility. And I've shared this before, but in James chapter three, it talks about teachers and how teachers are held to a higher standard because they have been put in a position of authority over people. They give people advice. They show people the way. And if they lead them down a wrong path, they have a higher responsibility because they have to answer to God for leading people astray, for giving people wrong information. That's why you know, in the Old Testament days, that's why the um, kings of old would continually seek and have prophets around them because they wanted to hear from God and get the advice from God on how to better lead their people, you know. So, Yeah, I think if you are going to have as huge of a platform as Mike Todd does, you need to take it seriously and do better than just being a motivational speaker or a performer, which I think he is. And the last point I want to make to tie it all together and echo back to the very top of this episode where I talked about how These pastors, by acting foolish, are making the church look foolish. I still stand by that, and that is why I wanted to bring this conversation up because we already know as Christians that the world does not take Christianity seriously anymore. We know that the world mocks Christians, mocks the church, mocks God, mocks our faith. We already know that. We don't need any more help in making the church, making God, making ourselves look foolish. The world already thinks we're foolish enough. And when pastors like Tim Ross and Brian Meadows and Mike Todd get up on stage and act a fool, they're not helping our case any. They're not helping the church. They are hurting it. They are hurting the church's reputation and the way it appears to others. It's funny because Mike Todd's whole platform is re-present and how he wants to re-present the church to people and make it relevant and fresh and new and exciting for this new young generation But studies have shown that younger people, when they do go to church, they actually prefer going to more stripped down, more simple churches like local churches or even some older style churches like Anglican churches because they long for the sanctity and the seriousness of the gospel, of the church, (laughs) of our religion. You know, so many other faiths hold their, um, their religion so sacred to them. Like in Buddhism, you don't, you don't make jokes like this. (laughs) In Islam, you don't make jokes like this. So many other religions treat their religion as sacred and important and special. And so that's why it also angers me when I see people especially people within the church, especially pastors, making light of something that is sacred, something that is important, something that should be treasured. So this is why I'm so fired up. This is why I wanted to have this conversation because I am tired of people mocking the church. I am tired of people mocking Christianity. I'm tired of people mocking God and not taking it seriously. And I'm tired of that coming from the inside. You know, the call is coming from inside the house. (laughs) We are the ones cheapening the church to other people. Other people already look down at the church. Other people mock it already. And we help them by pulling stunts like the examples I showed you today. don't even get me started on Transformations Easter service that happened this year. I'm actually going to make a bonus episode covering that whole fiasco because it is way too much to talk about in this episode. I have already talked way too long. So here in a few days, I'm going to release that as like a little bonus episode. And then I'm going to move on from, you know, hating on Mike Todd, I promise. (laughs) so anyway thank you so much for sticking around I know it was a long one but if you have made it all the way until the end I appreciate it and if you enjoyed this episode if you enjoyed this deep dive please let me know by giving me feedback. A great way to show me if you like something or if you're responding to something well is to rate and review from whatever platform you listen to podcasts on. Your rate and review helps me show what you like and what you would like to see more of. And it also helps push out my content to other people so that we can welcome more people into our club. So please rate and review if you haven't yet. Feel free to also leave me feedback by sending me a DM on Instagram. You can find me at lonewolvesclub.pod. You can also email me at lonewolvesclubpod at gmail.com. And finally, you can find me on TikTok too, at lonewolvesclub. All of those are great places to keep in touch with me, to um, see some reels and some clips of episodes. I've been working on some memes and having a lot of fun with that too. So be sure to follow me on at least one of those platforms, TikTok or Instagram, to keep in touch and get some more content from me in-between podcast episodes. All right, thank you so much for listening and spending a tiny portion of your day with me. I hope you have a great day, night, weekend, wherever you are, and until next time.